Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, we're doing a rewind to our 2018 review of the classic true crime podcast, Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo, from the CBC and host Connie Walker. Joining me to do that is my true crime co-author, co-podcaster, husband and love of my life, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. So, Kevin, what exactly are we doing here? Well, as you know, every summer we go to an every other week schedule. So instead of having nothing in our feed, uh, we decided to do rewinds of classic true crime titles. So if you don't remember what we talked about when we had some of these really great topics, then uh, it's a good time to catch up. Do you think our reviews hold up from back, way back when? Absolutely. I All mean, right. our, our we did the first eight out of ten episodes of Missing and Murdered Finding Cleo, mm-hmm. which, as you recall, was season two of Missing and Murdered with Connie Walker. And we all agree this was an all-time great podcast, but we did have some issues with it, particularly the writing. We did. Yeah, and you'll pick it up. You, I think, Rebecca, out of eight hours, you picked the perfect clip to illustrate what the problem was. Um, also, we have our first instance of Lara discussing going on a walk and being <laughs> enraged. This is the very first time Lara refers to rage walking? Well, she doesn't call it rage walking then, but you get the seed is planted. We see that it becomes a, a pattern for her. It's the proto-rage walk. Yeah, she's going out and, and swearing to herself, so <laughs> that's going to that's gonna be something. I always imagine what it's like living in Lara's tiny town of Exeter, New Hampshire, which, by the way, is not that tiny. It's just like regular size small town. Right. I imagine like, you know how you have a, a, a neighborhood figure who is somebody that you don't really know, but you see them all the time and they're always doing something weird. Mm-hmm. I always imagine that Lara is like that lady who walks and swears. That's what <laughs> I always imagine. <laughs> so let's listen to our classic review of Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. To have your family member stolen, murdered, then missing. Oh, wait a minute. This is Cleo. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. The government can get away with things if it doesn't, if nobody knows, you know, what happens. Yeah, I'm not sure that information is correct. She was driven away and I went the other way. And I've been looking for her ever since. Promised I'd find her and eventually I will. She tried her darndest to get back to Canada and see her family. She did everything within her power to get back there. In my heart, I think that killed her. Are you recording me? Yes, is that okay? No, it's not. 
Missing and Murdered Finding Cleo looks at the case of a girl both allegedly murdered and now missing. In the show, we follow reporter Connie Walker as she hopes to find out what happened to a young Cree Indian girl who died and whose remains are unaccounted for 40 years after she and her siblings were forced into adoption. The investigation highlights the aftermath of a misguided Canadian program called the 60s Scoop that took 20,000 Native children from their families and placed them in predominantly white homes all over North America. Now, we are going to be discussing some spoilers in our conversation. So if you'd rather hear our review of whether or not you should check out this podcast, look at the timestamp that we put in the show notes to find out where you should skip to to get our thumbs up or thumbs down review. I just want to start with the obvious thing, the thing that I told you, Kevin, when I started listening to this podcast and said, yeah, you got to check it out. Mm -hmm. Someone knows something in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not left to, well, we, we don't know exa- exactly how things are going to turn up, but we do get an answer to what happened to Cleo. Yes. And that is surprising and I think really satisfying and, and something that's a little bit different than some of the other shows we've listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about structure because the first three episodes of this show are build up and backstory, explaining what it is that Connie's trying to do, what the issue is that led to Cleo's disappearance, and kind of getting a lot of that context and backstory in place. Laura, what did you think of the setup, the first three episodes in particular of Missing and Murder, Finding Cleo, where, you know, we kind of get the backstory, we then visit, you know, Christine, the one sister, we go see April, the second sister, we go see Johnny, the brother in Pennsylvania, and mm-hmm. really get a full picture of the pain of these people and why this case is so important to them. Yeah. So as I'm listening to the backstory and I'm listening to the thin explanation that they all had about what happened to Cleo. Mm-hmm. And it was this it was really strange to me. It was like they all heard the same story, but nobody knew exactly when or where they you know, it was like Arkansas. She was she was killed. She was raped. To me, it was very mysterious how they all actually heard the same very random, very thin story about what happened. But as I'm listening to everything that they've gone through, and it's basically very transparent the way that Connie is reporting it as she's putting this together. So you're kind of going along with her. You feel like you're kind of in on the action as she is learning everything about what we know to date at that point about Cleo. I was left at that point thinking there was no way in hell they're going to find this girl or Mm. what happened to her because it may have happened here. It may have happened there. We're not sure. We don't know. It it just seemed like they had so little information to go on and so many roadblocks that they had hit, but also just tragic what had, you know, really separated all these siblings to get to where they were when the story begins with Connie. Right. Now, Now, Toby, you actually have the take that what makes this podcast different is that they start with a mystery that seems solvable. Well, it, this may just be showing my ignorance, but you're you're trying to find somebody who's not hiding. You know, it's mostly a matter of, of finding the right records and following a, a a path that that happened forty years ago. While people aren't being necessarily all that helpful, they're, at the same time, there's nobody who's trying to prevent them from finding stuff. So I kind of felt as though she had set up wisely, this isn't in any way a slam on it, a situation where there could have been a reasonable expectation that they would have been successful in finding what happened to Cleo. And they do. And some of it, there's some sort of luck and coincidence that occurs. 
But I, my sense is that they probably would have found this stuff out anyway. Mm. Well, there was one huge lucky break, which was that the producer on the show was, you know, looking at databases and looking at the website, findagrave.com, which I have actually used in my own work. Findagrave.com is actually a super useful tool to find dead people because it really literally is a database of people's mm-hmm pictures of graves that people have randomly uploaded as one of these crowdsourcing tools. They find the grave. Turns out the grave really is her. But then they have this unbelievable break on the reporting trip. And Kevin, this almost exactly the same thing happened to you on a reporting trip. So can you just talk about that real quick? Yeah, I mean, this is the parallel. When I went to Alabama to do some research on Sheila Labar, a female serial killer, in New Hampshire, I went to her hometown and went to the county courthouse to look up if she had any criminal records or divorce records, anything like that. And and just like Connie, you were on a very limited time frame. Right. We yeah, hear, you're only in town for a little while. We, yeah. hear, we hear Connie saying a couple of times, like, we only here for like two or three days. And like, we've had a couple of listeners ask questions about that, but that's legit. That's how these trips work, right? Yeah. 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 Well, you know, your boss is sending you. You're not going to be able to just walk around and do whatever you want. <laughs> you know, like Brian from S-Town. I don't know. Maybe I'll interview the killer. I don't know. Um yeah, so I had uh, like two days or whatever. So I went to the courthouse and uh, I asked, can I see any records on a Sheila Bailey? And uh, I saw like one woman like look like her head snapped up and she got up from her desk and like sneaked out a side door. Like there was going to be a shootout at the OK Corral and she was like escaping <laughs> through the battling doors. And uh, they said, like, go wait, go wait in the hallway. And I'm thinking, like, oh, I'm getting the run around because I'm a northerner or some other crap like that. And then this woman comes out and she says, I'm Sheila's sister. And I was like, whoa, what? yeah. And she ended up being a great what? source. Yeah. And we're still Facebook oh friends, God. so uh, there's that. But it, it is kind of a, yeah, I mean, I don't want to say needle in a haystack, but yeah, that is sort of, that, that's always sort of a, a surprising turn. Yeah. Laura, yeah. what did you think when you heard when you heard this scene? So this is the, the funeral home in that town in New yeah. Jersey where they find the grave. Uh, they're sent there to talk to the owner, Jill, and they end up running into another Jill, who just seems like she's just trying to maybe be helpful and just get them some papers and then... Jill said she was 13 years old in 1978, the same age as Cleo Madonia. It's a long shot, but I show her the picture we have of Cleo, the one we've been carrying around with us for months. So are you from here as well? Did you? I was just wondering if you would recognize her photo. No, no, I don't think so. I am from here, but no, I don't recognize her picture. But then she looks at the photo again. Oh, wait a minute. This is Cleo. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we, um, wow. Yeah, she and I were friends. What? Yes. And How many of your eighth grade friends are working in funeral Exactly. (laughs) Laura, what did you think of this break in the story? Um, I was like, this this is gold. You know, I I loved this whole scene in general because I felt like the suspense kept building. Like they they're at the cemetery and you're you're following. They're walking around looking, and then this old lady comes out. What are you doing? And and then she's like, you got to go see Earl at the other cemetery. And I mean, it just you know, I was really invested at this point. So when they go to this funeral home, and then the girl comes back up, and she's got the records, and she suddenly realizes, 
I, I couldn't even believe it. I, I was like, my poor husband, I'm like recounting this whole thing for him because I was like, you're not even going to believe this. Like, <laughs> I thought there was not a chance in hell they're going to find her. And and they this random woman at a funeral home was her childhood friend and you know and still has pictures of her at her house it was who keeps pictures in eighth grade like (laughs) how how can you play i mean you could never have planned something like or expected something like that to happen but it just made this story just so incredible and and things like this just kept happening in this series you know and i'm like this woman connie is like the luckiest person i know or or something because these just crazy coincidences keep happening as she's reporting either that or she's just i mean she is just really good at investigating but yeah well she's um, also really nice and she listens to people and i said this to kevin earlier and i'm not 100 percent sure you agree with me kevin i think she could teach a master class to asshole podcasters in how to actually approach people and talk to them (laughs) because she actually keeps all of her approaches in the show we hear the first knock on the door and when she first talks we hear her walk up to cleo's dad in the casino hi i'm connie oh hi nice to meet you yeah how are you doing good good Uh, There are people playing at the machines on either side of Sydney, and it's really cramped. Not an ideal place for this conversation. Can we buy you a coffee or something? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, well, we'll just be over here. Let us know when you're... I I keep wondering, though, what is the microphone situation? How come she's walking into these buildings and knocking on doors holding a microphone? It sounds like the microphone is down low during the introduction. They're off mic during the intro. It it sounds like it's down here. You went to a casino? Okay, yeah. I'm just... I don't know how that part works. That's kind of how my mind is. Well, remember, they they did that in the funeral home because the woman asked them to turn the microphone off. And then she made the decision to turn it back on. I'll just say... I thought I'll, she was taping on her phone or something, because it seemed like she's always taping. I, I think it's down low. Look, I'll just say this, folks. Think about where you're working. If somebody walked in and they're holding a microphone, no matter what, and they may be smiling or whatever, that's going to be all of a sudden the thing that you notice. Yeah. And you may make a decision. You're not going to say, oh, yeah. You'll make a decision about whether or not you want that. It's to a question I would ask Connie, Which like just, just how she's holding yeah. it. I yeah. think her producer is holding it. I think they're holding it like just down here. They're not doing this like in the face. Right. You know, it's a good practice when you arrive somewhere. You start rolling tape before you get out of the car. That's the way you do it to get right. a story. Right. That's how you sometimes right. get great sound of the dog barking in the yard and the scene sound. Right. And if you're David you're not Ridgen, supposed to hide the, the wind microphone. chimes that sound like angels. I'm not saying she hid the microphone. I don't I'm think she hid you're it. You're not supposed to do that. I think I'm it's surprised you don't hear anybody reacting to the fact that there are Somebody just walked in and starts record, is recording them. Right, right. You know that nobody seems to be concerned about that. Right, but what? What it do you think? Seems of like her? they're oblivious. I to think it's so. how she presents herself. I think that the way that she presents herself is very non-confrontational, very approachable, very like gentle when she goes in and starts talking to people. So I think that she kind of disarms them in that way because she's not aggressive in the way that she's going in to talk to people. She kind of eases in, and it seems like the people get you know comfortable very fast. Um, and they don't feel threatened by her. So maybe that's why they're not, you know, noticing the microphone right up front. Or if they are, just her demeanor is making it such that they're not getting anxious about that. She has a very open demeanor as a journalist when she approaches people. And I think that she has the secret weapon of being Cree. So when she talks to people who are also indigenous, First Nation Canadian people, the first conversation they have is, where are you from? Mm-hmm, where right. are you? And so she's able to sort of use that as an inroad. When she talks to people who are white here in the States, she approaches them like, this is not my first choice to be doing this. Hello, here's what I'm doing. Here's who I am mm-hmm. in a way that's transparent and warm. And she doesn't push. And she's being herself. She's being which, herself. Which, which uh, 
works in her favor. And she's not being like the kind of journalist that I think... I've heard her do things in the show, and Laura, you might uh, feel the same way, like when she went to visit April, and April said, April promises to send us a copy of that file. I'm like, no, Connie, take the file, go to Kinko's, make a copy yeah. of it yourself, and bring it back to April. Like, <laughs> But Connie's approach is just like, can you send me a copy of that? And the person's like, sure, and she's happy to walk away and just let them be. And I'm just like, wow, this is her secret weapon. This is her approach. It's also, yeah. I think, Toby, I think it's her narrative approach as well and I think that we probably I'm just guessing would all agree there are times in this show where it unfolds very slowly and it's sort of like revealing layers slowly and there's a lot of just like slow down moments but Toby what do you think of that style of storytelling you know that that some things are just let to kind of unfold at their own pace in that same kind of relaxed slowed down way that that I think Connie also kind of just is right and I think she's smart in that that stuff doesn't happen until you're you're pretty into the story. You mean this? The slow parts happen later in the podcast. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I, you know, I was listening to, I, I don't know, like five and six or something today, and I was driving, and there is like there's there's like a a part of it where they're basically driving in the car, and she's making a bunch of phone calls, and sometimes she's getting people, and sometimes she's not, but it works. You know, because you're also kind of interested in what's going to happen when they when she reaches these people. So I, I think there's a way in which you kind of get put into her shoes. You know, you have the same sort of uh, feeling of expectation about what she's going to find out. And then when she gets when they go um, to Little Pine uh, in Saskatchewan, things go pretty slowly there, too. But you get a sense that that's a reflection of just you know, how interactions there are, mm. you know, it, it, it's sort of unhurried. Thinking about those scenes and especially when she first gets to Saskatchewan and she's talking to the men and they're talking about like the pipe ritual and the whole TP thing. I kind of feel when listening to those, like that's the story she really wants to tell. She really wants to show us this kind of lost culture and these uh, the stories of these people who are there and who have all these memories. Like to me, that's where Connie's like storytelling heart is. And she's wrapped it in this framing device of this mystery, which is important, and it's a driver for the story. But it's an opportunity to tell the story of the 60s. It's street. an opportunity to yeah. tell the 60s. And it's an opportunity she, to, to she, have us meet the people. Yeah, where she's able to talk about the schools in the first season of Missing and Murdered. How Alberta it, Williams, yeah. Yeah, how that kind of get get brought in. I think it's the same thing. It's it's an opportunity. But it, it's, not a, it's not a cheap one because it's actually very relevant to... Mm-hmm. To this story right. and what ended up happening to Cleo and how she was taken from Saskatchewan and wound up in New Jersey, you know, which is it's almost like a punchline in there if you're from New Jersey or something like that. But, the, uh, you know, that whole thing is, is all sort of relative to the system that brought her there. And like we know, I mean, we're in the spoiler part of the podcast. OK, we find out halfway through this series that. She died by her own hand Mm -hmm. at age 13. So the idea that maybe we're going to get the answer to the question, who killed Cleo, we know that that's not exactly what we're going to get. But I think that we already know the answer. Who killed Cleo? The system. Question, Kevin. Why would there be an open police file on somebody who committed suicide? Well, and it probably doesn't have anything to do with her suicide. It, it might be another crime. Mm. Another crime that she's associated with. And look, they keep dangling this this story about a, a hitchhiker who got raped. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm guessing that that's going to tie in. What do you think, Laura? 
I think there's going to be more to the story if they can ever if she can ever get her hands on that police file, because that, uh, you know, that seems like a lot for a suicide. I mean, it was a child, so that that definitely makes it more unusual. I feel like there's going to be something else about that investigation that made it go on as long as it did from the way and the way that nobody would talk about it. I, I, I feel like there's something else, like another piece of that puzzle that is going to be revealed at the right time. Yeah. Can we just talk about Johnny, please? You mean Samson? Yeah, I really want to talk about Johnny. Mm -hmm. We meet three, primarily meet, we meet more than three, but we primarily talk to three of Cleo's siblings in this podcast. There's Christine, who brought the story to Connie. There's April, who lives in a mysterious New England city that Kevin and I were like doing our best to guess at which city (laughs) it was. Mysterious New England town. I am leaning toward northern Vermont myself, but I don't know. apartments with buzzers. apartments with buzzers. I don't know. Anyway, um, and then there's Johnny, who was adopted to Pennsylvania after... After being basically bribed by the Canadian government with hockey camp and a bicycle, which fucking bananas story, but who sees himself now as an adult as being relatively at peace with the pain of his past. He knew his mother the best of all of the kids. He had to take care of the kids himself when he was a little kid. And he's turned into this incredibly tragic, incredibly stoic, incredibly lovable but sad adult man almost seems like a, a fictional character. Johnny does. Toby, what do you think of this character? I I, I kind of think he's like the heart of, of the podcast myself. Yeah, there's a lot going on with him, obviously. One of the things that really struck me was when his cousin back in Saskatchewan was talking about how he just wished that it's confusing. But but Johnny is called Sammy back home because his middle name is Samson. But he was saying that he wanted Johnny to come home. And Johnny says that he doesn't want to go back. But the reality is, is that he's he's fairly assimilated. Mm. You know, he, he talks about how he's got a decent enough life and he's got his friends. And you feel as though, well, he's, he's a tragic and, and clearly unhappy figure that, that he is where he, where he wants to be. And he feels sort of at home where he is. At that point. So it's like this weird thing where where the ultimate goal of this awful program, it ends up kind of being, I wouldn't say successful, but its goal is achieved with him in that he he doesn't have any interest in going back to, you know, the reservation. He basically is living the life of an American in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm. There's a whole lot going on with him. Yeah, he seems really, to me, very broken. You know, Kevin, we hear those scenes where he's talking about being abused on the farm where he was adopted out. And I can say this now because I told friends about it. It wasn't any kind of insertion or nothing. They played like, oh, you're the the cow, we're the bull. It was a weird game. (laughs) But it was like, at the time, you don't think nothing of it. But it was like, there's nothing inserted, but it was still strange. I thought about it. I'm like, I was sitting one day thinking about it. I'm like, I think I was, I came to Revelation. I think I was abused, but I wasn't really abused. Does that make sense? No, Johnny, that was definitely abuse. Yeah. Like, as a listener, you want to like talk back to him, mm-hmm. you know, and he has, you know, all these memories. Right, and he's yeah, just he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with this. I'm fine yeah. with that. And it's so painful, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. I thought one of the, um, there were just a couple of times where, People let their emotions get the best of them. Like Christine, there were a couple of times when she was talking about her mother and 
you know, she started to cry when she was talking to the uh, the government official, mm. and like you really could, uh, I mean, you really could feel her pain. And and then when Connie told the cousin in Little Pine the news about what happened to Cleo, you could tell he was, you know, sniffling and he was he was fighting back some tears. And she said something like, "Do you want to? Are you okay? Or do you want to take a moment?" And he just said, "Like, I'll deal with it later." Right. Which is just like he just I. Just basically saying, what I do is I stuff it down and then I wait till I get home and then right. I deal with it then, right. you know, or maybe I don't. I, it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, you know, that's one of the strengths of the podcast and the interviewing is that, you know, you're, you get people to really open up and you can see their pain. You can hear their pain. What you were saying, Kevin, reminded me of when Connie tells Johnny that she's found Cleo. Right. And I'm like waiting for this big reaction. And he he doesn't really react. He was arguing with her about the date, remember? Like, he just argued about the the, the logistics. Yeah, I think she even said to him, I was expecting more of a response. Thinking about it afterwards, I think, you know, somebody that grew up like he did had to learn not to respond. So I think that his response to finding out about Cleo actually is very telling because it's, it's really you know, a sign of what he went through right, right. in his life to that point. I do think that some people who are used to a different kind of podcast, a different pace of podcast may find a lot of the backstory and family stuff takes away from what they want, which is action in the story. Right. This story is different from anything we've listened to like it, because to me, if it, I almost think of it like a novel. The action in the story doesn't matter without hearing about the impact. Um, and I am not a fan of grief porn, as you know. I mm-hmm. don't like over-focusing on victims in these cases, over-focusing on family pain. I just, I know people get wrapped up in that sometimes, but it can take away from just sort of like, you know, the what happened aspect of it. But the pain is what happened in the story. What's interesting to me is that I have relatives that were alive when I was little and who died and who I never met. I don't think about what could have been different if I had had the opportunity to meet and know those people mm-hmm. because I didn't have my entire culture ripped away from me involuntarily. Right. So the reason that these siblings care so much about a sibling they barely remember is because the opportunity wasn't even there. That's what they're grieving is the opportunity. We get into a lot of history and a lot of of the stuff around what the Canadian government did and how they're coping with it. But um, episode eight, the episode title, Salesman of the Year. Oh, Thoughts? Yeah. I have a feeling some outrage. I had some outrage, Rebecca. I went out today at lunchtime. You know, I've had cabin fever. So I'm trying to go to lunch and do a walk. So I was like walking. We have a route up and down the river here in town. And I was listening to that episode and I started like swearing. Thankfully, there was no one around me. I was like, what the <laughs> Are you are you kidding me? Like salesperson of the month for getting children adopted? It was it enraged me. And I was surprised. Speaking of reactions, I felt like Connie and Marnie weren't as outraged about it as I thought they should be as they were. I mean, they kind of were, but they they weren't. But or maybe they just were used to it at that point in the research. But it's just such a commentary on like the state of what was going on in like the Canadian like social work slash adoption system at that time that they were able to internally in that agency joke about, quote, selling children, the most children, especially these native children into homes. That's when the pace picked up for me again. Right. In, in this, you know, I, I was kind of like, we kind of had a little bit of a lull. We're kind of following up. I mean, we did have the random encounter with the dad in the casino. And then the salesperson episode, I just, yes. 
Yeah, it pissed me off. And that commercial? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Crazy. Oh, my God. Well, let's let's talk about like the pacing and the, and the style and the, and, the, and, and the potential flaws here. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've talked about what's happening in the podcast. Mm-hmm. We all agree is super interesting and, and contextually important. Structure. We have, you know, a climax really in the midpoint of the episodes we've heard so far. Right. And then a lot more after that. Kevin, what do you think of the structure of this so far? Well, I think it's very classical plotting uh, structure where you have the climax sort of in the, the middle and then you have the falling action afterwards. And that sort of, you know, sort of like what happens because of the climax, the fallout. And, and, and a lot of times with a mystery, you know, it's, it's weighted so that the climax happens at the end, mm. the very end. You know, we get, get sort of the surprise. You know, I kind of thought, OK, you know, we, we hit that episode and you find out that she was she kills herself and there's probably not a crime associated with that. There's nothing left to tell of the story, but there is. Right. It's structured as such that this is this is Connie's journey from start all the way through the things that she discovers. So that's good. I do have some other concerns about the narrative style, which I think you're gonna you're holding your finger just up, so you want second, me to put a pin in. Can it. I that's just fine. ask a question about yeah. the climax? A moment just before the climax. Yeah. Before we knew about the suicide. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard about the suicide, I felt really bad about one thing. What's that? How I was yelling. You were in the car and I were in the car together listening to uh-huh. episode, the episode right before when yeah. she has the meeting with Jill. Yeah. And Jill just refuses to tell her what happened to Cleo. <laughs> and I'm like, why do you have to be such a bitch, Jill? Just tell her. <laughs> yeah. What is the matter, Jill? Like that build up part was just, it was, yeah. it was true. It's what happened. But it was also like so frustrating and like a really great way to yeah. pre-climb. I, I, I totally suspected that that's what the answer was. I didn't. Be if they, if why they, did you say something to me yeah, when I was I in the too. car? <laughs> Why didn't I say, well, did I, I didn't want to ruin it for you, but, but why else would, you know, would you say, oh, well, she had a pneumonia and died. Yeah, like, what would be What the- did you think, Laura? I thought that somebody in her foster family killed her. I thought that maybe Jill just was un- was unsure what the details were and yeah. she didn't want to get it wrong. What, so, Toby, you thought that the suicide was what was going to happen, too? Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like the one, you know, most likely thing that somebody would not want to hmm. be the one to impart to somebody else. You know, yeah. Toby, what, it works really well narratively, though, because you think when you find her, you're also going to find out exactly what happened to her. You're going to get those two things like right at once. Right. But instead, you it, that gets dragged out because you get one, but you don't get the other. So now you're like waiting for the the other thing. So um, not that like people intentionally held back to to build the suspense, but that was sort of a natural outcome of the fact that they they believe they found her, but they don't know what happened to her. Right. Right. It would have been shitty fiction, but it was. It was real. It was good you know, real life. Yeah, for yeah. nonfiction, the fact that it's real added that bit of suspense or, or waiting or whatever. Now, Kevin, um, we share, I think, a justified criticism of this podcast. Do you want to be the one to, um, yeah. to talk about that? Part of it is Connie's narrative. And I know, you know, uh, get grief for like the, the Canadian storytelling way. And I, I don't think this has anything to do with it. But look, the, there's an over-reliance on the rhetorical question mm-hmm. to move things along. And it ends up being a real crutch and a distraction. Yeah. Mrs. Madonia told me that Cleo had attempted to go back to Saskatchewan, but she didn't say how. Did she try to hitchhike? Was that news story we read about a teenager being assaulted at all related to Cleo? If not, what would lead such a young girl to take her own life? Was there any doubt that it was a suicide? If not, why did police do such a comprehensive investigation? What is in that thick police file? Why does her biological family believe Cleo was murdered? 
Context is important, and you can give it, and you can do it in that way. But if you count up the number of question marks in her script, mm. I mean, it's excessive. And I, get to, I, I tell you, once you hear it, you can't unhear right. it. It is, it is persistent. And if I, if I were a figure skating judge, I would be knocking lots of points off of this, off of what's a really good program. Right, right. So I just wish that it, you know, it could, you know, dial back a little bit of the. I can't uh, help but wonder, and the questions, yeah. Yeah, and the word heartbreaking gets used at least once an episode. Oh, more than once an episode. Yeah, and I'm like, you don't have to tell me what's heartbreaking. Right. Either it's I clear. know it, it's, it's, it, yeah, you don't have to point that out. That's one thing you don't have to point out. Right. I, I, I do feel it's like- It's all tell and no show. When, when you hear her say that to a, an interviewee, mm-hmm. when someone tells her a story oh, that's and different. she says that's, oh, that's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. Like, no. that should that's stay. Fine. That no. should stay. Yeah, that should stay. When she says, it's heartbreaking to think of dot, 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 to me, that's like, the whole point of this is that we shouldn't need that. This is well done enough that we don't need it. Mm-hmm. We don't need you to tell us. Because it is. It just is. And we don't need you to tell us, I can't help but think But I can't help but think about Cleo Semaginis and the story that her family heard about her death. Yeah, we're already there because you've done a really good job putting this together. Yeah, it's it's too much A1 sauce on a really good steak. Toby, do you hear the same thing that Kevin and I hear when we listen to this? I, I did I did notice it. I, I did notice it, and it didn't necessarily bug me, but it is like, it's a noticeable tech. Mm. There I, are other podcasters we've smacked down for this kind of thing. Yes, so I think but, it, but here's the yeah, thing. Yeah, no, that's, I yeah. mean, it's, it's not that it, the podcast is perfect in every single way. Right. And this doesn't disqualify it as a good podcast. Yeah, that's a, that's a legitimate criticism. Yeah, because, and the other thing is, it's like so much else of it is so well constructed. You know, I actually really like the exposition that Connie does that's just like telling us what she did. I like I think my favorite exposition in the show is when, you know, they do some stuff that is like something you're hearing more sort of like Nat sound exposition where she'll say, all right, we're we're getting out of the car and we're going to talk um, to so. So Jen and I are off to to talk to Nora. Um, I'm I'm really excited to actually talk to somebody who knew Lillian as an adult because I don't feel like we've talked to anyone who's actually um, been able to tell us what Lillian was like. But you know, Nora is, she's in her 80s, so <clears throat> we'll have to see what, just how much she remembers. And she does that, and then she doesn't repeat it by saying, we got out of the car, and then we yeah. talked to so-and-so. Right. Like, she, she just leaves what she said there to mm-hmm. set the scene in as the exposition. I like that, and I like it when she tells somebody that what they just said is heartbreaking. I don't like it when she tells me that it's heartbreaking. But I do think that those things stick out because she does such a good job of demonstrating how much something hurts. Like she can just let it sit and leave that and then leave that quiet. The thing that bugged me the most, and this is super nitpicky and, and I'm going to regret saying it, but when they're reading the, uh, the reports Mm. and there's like the typing in the background. Yep. Unnecessary. Yeah. I was just like, you don't need to do that. Thing. Yeah, it no, just, I, I, I didn't like that weird. either. I, I didn't like it either. I, I think that they did it for the first time to demonstrate they were doing the, um, you know, that there was an actor, mm-hmm. which I think is fine to do it as an audio cue once and then to like have it just be like a quick audio cue here and there. But then it was just underneath a whole, the whole track of typewriting was underneath a person talking. That's whoever mixed it. I would just say I wouldn't have made that choice. But, you know, it is nitpicky. I agree. All right. Is it time for us to review this podcast, you think? Missing yes. and Murdered. Finding Cleo. Okay. Uh, should our listeners check this podcast out? Should they listen to the eight episodes that have dropped so far and get into this story from Connie Walker and the CBC? 
Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down? I'm going to start with you. I say thumbs up. This is um, one of the more interesting podcasts we've listened to in some time. And uh, unlike... uh, Not to throw shade at the other Canadian podcasts they keep advertising, but, um, you know, the mystery is solved. It's not like some of these these podcasts we listen to where they're trying to find something out. And they don't find a satisfying bit of information. It, we find it out. And then not only that, but you're also, you know, I was not aware of all this background that she gets into about the 60 scoop and the residential schools. Um, I knew some of that from the last podcast. So it's it's um, it, an issue that I think needs to have some awareness brought to it. And this was a, a good uh, vehicle to do that. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down on Missing and Murdered Finding Cleo from the CBC? You know, I think of, of the podcasts we've listened to, this is probably the most emotionally resonant of them. And I think in a way, like you were talking about how you don't like grief porn, I really don't like grief porn, but that this is not that. No, you know, I agree. Th- this is telling it's telling a story that's illustrative of a much much bigger story. Sometimes I talk about like, well, you know, what's the point? Why is this a podcast? And it's just so clear in this one what it is. You know, uh, a big thumbs up for me. I think it, I think it's really a. A top podcast among the ones who we've listened to. Yeah, I agree. I'm giving it a big thumbs up too. Uh, if we were doing letter grading, I would say this is very close to an A. There is just a whole lot of there there in terms of what the story is about on its surface, which is the mystery of finding Cleo. And then below the surface, which actually to me is really what the show is about. I, as Toby mentioned, am not a fan of focusing, overly focusing on impact, overly focusing on victims, overly focusing on grief. In this show, it's exactly what we need. I have been found myself getting very emotional while listening in a way that is good for me. As somebody who is learning something, somebody who's connecting with strangers who I'll never meet. This to me, this show, what, when it's at its best, does what only audio can do which is take you to places and and put you in front of people and put you in situations you would never otherwise be in and you feel immersed in in them. You feel like it's very intimate and we have an extremely likable and compassionate and talented journalist and storyteller doing the work. And I, I just, I like and respect Connie so much. Never met her in person, but this show makes me feel like I know her and that is the hallmark of good storytelling. So big thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? I'm also a thumbs up. I, I you know, I do have some issues with um, some of the writing that we've gone over. However, uh, I do think this is a great investigative job that she's done. Again, we're in the spoiler-free section here, but I'm just going to say from the start, when she says uh, we got a name, we think, we don't really have a date of birth, we we don't really know where she went or how she died, I'm kind of like, why are you exploring this? <laughs> this is going this is going nowhere. Um, and so uh, the story that they are able to tell from there on out and the way they're able to weave it into sort of the historical narrative uh, about this time in Canadian history, which I'll just say a lot of us don't know much about. Yeah. You know, it's very enlightening and it's a good way of sort of bringing the two things together because one enhances the other. So Someone really does know something. Someone really does know something. So I'm a thumbs up. This is a really sharp sounding podcast. Mm. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. 
Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. So, Kevin, what are we doing next week on a new episode of Crime Writers On? We're going to be talking about the Netflix series Heist. And the podcast Chameleon, High Rollers. Ooh, is that the uh, a new season of what we listened to before from Chameleon, Hollywood Con Queen? Yeah, it's the, it's the next ser- season of that series. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. So I guess this wraps it up for us, right, Kevin? Well, we're not going to talk any longer, so yeah. <laughs> All right, listeners, we'll see you next week. Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.